an interesting one today. I've been feeling all week just so different. I have a hard time figuring out what it is, but we'll see. You can give me feedback afterwards. That was the worst thing you ever did. Um, we love stories of, you know, like failure that turned to success. Like, when I was thinking about this, we just we can't get enough of people who, on the brink of defeat, somehow achieve victory. And so I, I'll list off a couple, like J.K. Rowling, right? The author of Harry Potter. Oh, Michael's still in here. Good. All right, we have one, like, monster Harry Potter fan right here. He did a whole marathon, right? How long was it? Uh, 19 hours and 40 minutes. 19 hours and 40 minutes. All right. Oh, that's a long time. Yeah. All right. So this is interesting. I didn't know this. Maybe you do. Uh, but the author here, she was actually virtually penniless, depressed, divorced on welfare. Her manuscript was rejected 12 times by 12 different publishers. Today, the brand Harry Potter is worth over $15 billion, right? Um, absolutely mind-blowing. So Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. Anybody know that? Can you imagine being the guy that cut Michael Jordan? <laughs> like, seriously, I spent most of my time thinking about that guy instead of thinking about this. <laughs> I just can't imagine being that guy. Um, everybody must hate him. But anyway, um, Michael Jordan goes on to what? Become only the greatest basketball player of all time. I still like Magic Johnson the best, but I'm a little biased. <laughs> all right, what about uh, Albert Einstein? Did you know this? His teachers called him slow and mentally handicapped. Okay? He goes on to win a Nobel Prize in physics. He didn't read until he was seven or speak until he was four. So... There you go. What about this one? This is my favorite one. Colonel Sanders. All right? This is no joke. Colonel Sanders drove, he lived in his van. He drove to 1,008 restaurants where he pitched his fried chicken recipe. It was rejected all 1,008 times. Okay? Before becoming the brand that we know as Vayner's looking good. Right? These Rags to riches stories, the failure stories to turning to success, they're everywhere. But what I was actually trying to do before I found these ones, I was trying to find ones uh, of people, stories of people that came up short. People of stories that didn't quite make it. Tragic stories, really, of people who gave their whole lives to something, but who in the end, they came up short. Here's what I learned when I was trying to find this. They're a lot harder to find. The other ones were easy. These ones were hard. It turns out we really don't like these stories very much. That's why they're hard to find. Today is kind of the bittersweet ending of the Exodus journey, uh, the people of Israel, and also the end of Israel, the life of Israel's greatest prophet and leader, Moses. And so Moses' list of accomplishments, like we'll list a few out, uh, would stand up to anyone that's ever lived. All right? Pretty, pretty important guy in history. Did some pretty amazing things. And maybe the biggest question that's going to come out of today is the fact that Moses actually, in the end, what we're going to see today is he, he comes up short. Um, he dedicated himself to a dream, and in the end, he doesn't, he doesn't get to realize uh, his dream. And maybe the question that our text is going to raise today is, because Moses doesn't fulfill this dream, does that mean that his life was a failure? Was Moses a failure because in the end, he did not fulfill the dream that he had? So if you can decide for yourself, I'm going to have a few things to say about it in a minute, um, and we're going to listen to the story from Deuteronomy 34, 1-12. It goes like this. Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him 
the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev, and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zohar. The Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He's buried in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired. His vigor was not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him and the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and the entire land. And for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. And so we have this passage that represents a transition. A transition from the old to the new. And it's the final moment, the final passage in the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. And it's the final moments of the life of Moses. The people of Israel, they've escaped slavery in Egypt 400 years. They've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They stand right on the edge of the land that God had promised Abraham and his descendants. And it was Moses who had gotten them there, right? Moses had led them out of slavery in Egypt. Moses had guided them through the desert. Moses had pleaded multiple times with God to stick with these rebellious people, convince God to not leave them. Moses had performed miracle after miracle demonstrating God's provision God's power, God's protection and presence. He taught them Torah. He gave them God's commandments. Moses had accomplished all of these incredible things. And the the sad part, there's only one thing, one thing in the world that Moses still had to do. He had to lead his people into the land. God had confirmed the giving of this promised land. We can read it 55 times stated at least 12 times that this covenant with this people was, with, of Israel was everlasting. And so here's a little map uh, of the land as it was kind of promised to Abraham, right? And Moses had dreamed of this moment. Just, you've got to really put yourself in Moses' shoes here. He's dreamed of this moment for over 40 years. Four decades of dreaming, of leading, of enduring, all to get this stubborn people of God into the promised land. So it's, on the left, you've got the Nile River in Egypt, I think. I have my left and right, what you're looking at. All the way to the Euphrates River running through Syria and Iraq on the right. And it's just this heartbreaking thing that Moses has one thing left to accomplish in this world and the one thing that he will not get the chance to finish. In the very first chapter of Deuteronomy, we actually learn something about this. We're warned that Moses will not enter the promised land. Despite the fact that multiple times Moses begged God to allow him to set foot in. 
Seven or eight times Moses' death is alluded to, every time Moses' death is alluded to, the Bible says that it also made a reference to the fact that Moses wasn't going to enter into the promised land. Wasn't going to happen. The reader knows it. Moses knew it. He would never set foot in the land that he dreamed about leading his people in. And, I, you know, I, here's what I was thinking. I was thinking about this. We're going to fill in the blank. Moses not getting to lead the people into the promised land is what? What's the word that comes to mind? And <laughs> we keep it rated blank. PG. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Lame. Yeah. What other words? Seriously, what comes to mind? Heartbreaking. Not fair. Not fair. Yeah. Any other good words out there? What's that? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that sums it up. That sums it up perfectly. You know, when I was looking at this, what I found was I wasn't the only one who felt like this. When I was studying it, I looked and found Jewish and Christian scholars all kind of lament this text. They think it's one of the most unfair uh, passages in the entire Bible because this guy, Moses, he deserved it. He'd earned it. When I first was thinking about this, I was like a little bit angry. It irritated me. It rubbed me the wrong way. Why would God not allow Moses the fulfillment of his dreams when he actually clearly deserved it? And it got me thinking, morning, Dale. It got me thinking, we all want answers to these why questions, including me. I want them too. And so I actually took a look at the scriptures. I wanted to find out why was Moses not allowed. I wasn't satisfied. I was just like dissatisfied. And here's the problem. The Bible actually gives three answers to why Moses wasn't allowed into the promised land. They're all three different. All right? Are we ready for this? God was, first one, Deuteronomy 3. God is angry with the people of Israel. God was always angry with the people of Israel. What else is new? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but that's the, first, that's the first reason given. That it was the sin of the people of Israel that Moses was their leader, their representative, the mediator between the people of God and God himself. And God says, you know what, Moses, because of this, you're not going to go. The second is found in Numbers 20. It says that God was angry with Moses. There's this weird little passage, a few people might remember it, where God tells him to speak to a rock, and instead he strikes it with his staff. Right? So if we remember that story, ooh, isn't that terrible that he did that? I mean, like, everyone's just like, oh, what a terrible person. He touched the rock with the staff instead of speaking to it. Like, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Like, this just, okay, I mean, this doesn't make sense. Like, how is that enough to deny me? If that's disobedience, I'm in serious trouble, all right? Um, wow, I mean, I don't even, we don't want to talk about that. That's a whole other discussion. And here it is in this, this passage. In Deuteronomy 32, 34, no reason is given. The narrator doesn't say why. It just states the fact that Moses, he ain't going, right? And so it's not very helpful, is it? I didn't think it was. The early tradition, the narrator says, it's God's judgment against sin. Well, whose sin? Is it Moses' sin? Is it people's sin? Is it both? Don't know. I find it fascinating and really refreshing when I was looking at this. That the book by the end, the end, the, the, uh, the later tradition, when we get to the end of the story, there's no explanation given. Maybe the truth is when it comes to answering some of those why questions in life, the best, honest answer is we don't know. Maybe the best answer, the honest answer, is I just don't know. I don't know why Moses didn't get to lead the people in Israel. I have no idea why. I wish I did. But this story, it's like shrouded in mystery. Moses was the greatest, unequal, the scripture says, unmatched by, of Israel's prophets. He's far from perfect. He's human like the rest of us. And part of, well, this is, this is a hard 
pill to swallow part of what it means to be human is to sometimes come up a little bit short. Has anyone ever come up a little bit short in their life before? I know I have, right? I mean, I don't think Dale has, but maybe everybody else. <laughs> Dale's not used to failure, you know what I mean? But most of us, we come up a little bit short sometimes. It's part of what it means to be human. And so Moses dies like alone on top of this mountain at 120 years old. Uh, we don't know where he's buried. The scripture says we don't know by whom. I mean, who buried? Think about this. This is one of those fun questions. Who buried Moses? He's alone on the mountain with God. Did God bury him? It's just fun to think about. I don't know. Call me crazy. The answer that makes the most sense is we just don't know. We don't know why sometimes we come up short. We don't always get answers as to why some of the dreams that we have for ourselves or for others uh, get crushed. Um, I found this picture, and I was told, Dale and Wendy, am I right about this, that Matthew climbed Mount Nebo? Yeah, their son got to, got to see this view. So this is the view from the, from the top, um, which, is, which is pretty cool. And so this is the scene that we have painted um, in this picture. 120-year-old Moses, at the end of his life, he climbs 3,000 feet. That's about what it is. To the top of Mount Nebo, it stands 4,000 feet above the Dead Sea. So on a clear day, people can actually climb it and go to the top. They've got this panorama view that Moses probably viewed, which is pretty cool to think that like Matthew saw that he stood in the same place and looked out at the same view that Moses had. Like That's a neat, that's a cool thought. Um, and this is what you can see. You can see all the way to the Dead Sea, the Jordan River Valley, the cities of Jericho, Bethlehem, and the distant hills of Jerusalem, all from the top of this mountain. Moses is he's standing there looking at the land that he could never enter. God gives him this little gift, right? He finally gets to the top after hours of climbing, standing on the top of this probably windswept mountain alone with God at the summit, and he feasted his eyes on the land that he would never enter. Now, I can only imagine what this must have been like. I wonder, what was it like for this guy? Like, Did it make him long all the more to go there? I don't know. Did it bring him a sense of accomplishment, knowing that he had led God's people this far? At his death, when we get to the end here, he's actually really very much at peace. He's no longer pleading. He's no longer arguing. Maybe, seeing the beauty of it from the top of this mountain, maybe that was enough. Maybe knowing that Joshua, what we see at the end, who was full of spirit and wisdom, it said. Maybe knowing that Joshua was commissioned to lead the people into the land, maybe that was enough for him. Maybe Moses had done enough. Maybe he'd accomplished enough. Maybe he'd accomplished more than enough. That's kind of what I believe. I just can't know for sure. And so we feel for Moses. We feel for people whose dreams get crushed. And so when I was looking at this, I got to this point, and honestly, I started asking myself, man, this is it's kind of dark, you know? Um, where is the gospel in this? Where's the good news? And so here's what I know for sure, what this story teaches us something. And this is the main thing that it's teaching us, the torch of the dream that Moses had. It was passed on to Joshua. Now, all of us have heard Martin Luther King Jr.'s iconic I Have a Dream speech, right? But most of us don't know that he actually gave another speech, uh, 1968, Ebenezer Baptist Church. You know what it was called? unfulfilled dreams. And so in this lesser-known sermon, he says that we all have dreams and aspirations, many of which, like Moses's, they just never come to fruition. We come up short. And he used King David as an example in his sermon, the greatest of Israel's kings. King David, he longed to build what? Anybody remember? He longed to build the temple in Jerusalem. Guess what? He never did. Died before it happened. 
But his son, Solomon, came along, picked up his dad's dream, and he completed this massive temple in Jerusalem that his father couldn't build. You know? And so that's, that was Dr. King's sermon. Moses and David, they remind us that sometimes we cannot complete a dream ourselves. Sometimes we come up short. It seems unfair, it feels unfair, it feels unjust. It may even cause some suffering that pushes us to search for answers to those why questions. Why? And what I hear a lot is these really simplistic answers out there uh, that some people will offer. Most of the time, to be really honest, I don't find those simplistic answers very helpful. You know? uh, I don't find them to be real honest. And some answers are even hurtful. I read one article a couple weeks ago on this uh, that I was just totally blown away about Hurricane Harvey uh, and the cause. There was an evangelical radio show host who said that that was caused by the LGBTQ community, right? And it was gay sex that caught, that's why God punished the city of Houston, which is just absolutely absurd, right? There's those kind of answers, they're simple answers <laughs> that are just crazy, they're just crazy, you know? Um, and we have those kind of answers because finger pointing is so, so simple. It's easy to do. King's speech, along with Moses and David's story, reminds us that although we're not, uh, we may not complete these dreams ourselves, what we can do is we can pave the way for others to pick these dreams up and, and carry them into the future. And this is where we get to a little bit of a little bit of good news. And so I wonder, you know, we all have dreams, things that we're working toward right now. I hope that we're successful in those things. But if our dreams are big enough, if they're big enough they may very well require someone to come along after us, someone to pass those dreams onto. For those of us that are parents, this is real obvious with our kids. Um, others who will pick up kind of what we put down. It makes me think of the issues, the seemingly insurmountable issues that we face in the country today. We have all these things going on. I mean, just the division is off the chart. Racial tension, inequality, poverty, terrorism, threat. I mean, all these things that are just going on right now. These seemingly insurmountable things. As followers of Jesus Christ, we look at these things and we say, man, these things just don't have a place in God's kingdom. They don't allow and let, allow human beings to flourish into the people that God created them to be. Are we going to fix all these problems in our lifetime? Probably not, right? But does that mean that we quit dreaming, that we can stop trying, you know? Uh, we have to pave a way for future dreamers to come along and to pick these things up and carry them. It makes me also think about the church, the big C church, not this church. There's nothing in my life that I find more frustrating and yet more beautiful than the church. It's the way I've felt about the church for years. And so we started a church dreaming of how to be different, how to be creative, how to welcome all kinds of different and diverse people, a church that would exist for its community. All these things are, are different ways of thinking about the church. Are we going to achieve these dreams? No idea. I don't know. But let's tell you, I can guarantee you one thing, it's not going to stop me from trying, right? And I don't think it's going to stop this group of people from trying either. So we have to keep dreaming. We have to keep working together in order to achieve these dreams because the dreams are worth fighting for. So here's the, the big question. I kind of lead, you know, I've already led in to, to the answer. Um, but people can have different answers on this question. Is an, is an unfulfilled dream always a failure? Was Moses a failure because he did not achieve his dream in the end, right? We can, people can have different answers today. I think some people would say yes. Some would. They would argue 
that Moses was a failure. He didn't do the big thing, the one thing he really wanted to do. Um, I would argue strongly that it's not always the end result that matters. And I think that's one of the things that this passage is teaching us, that Moses accomplished things that uh, really that are unfathomable to most people in human history. His death marked this turning point in Israel. Moses dies outside the land, maybe because his work was actually truly done. The people of Israel now have the Torah. They have God's commandments. It was Moses who gave it to them. It was Moses who taught them, right? And the people now having the Torah have God's life-giving word. They're free to live by this word. Maybe Moses had done his job. Maybe he could have easily used these words that the Apostle Paul spoke. Some of us will recognize these words. Paul said, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. Moses could easily say these words. Moses may have added one thing. I have also passed on the dream to the next generation, to the next generation of leaders, to the next generation of God's people. This past Friday, I was hanging out with a fellow church planner friend of mine. He shared a story of meeting of a Napa wine grower. Um, they've had a tough time, as we know. Um, but this man was in his 60s. And he was just in his 60s about to plant a vineyard, right? And he was really excited. This guy was like, he couldn't, he wanted to talk about it, he couldn't wait. And my friend was really excited too, sensing this guy's passion. He asked him, what's it going to be like to drink that first glass of wine that came out of your dreams, Right? The guy laughed, he looked at him, and he said, what? I'll never know. I'm not going to be around when those grapes are ready to make that first glass of wine. He said, I'm not planting the vines for me. I'm actually planting them for people who come 50 years from now. That's what he said. 50 years from now. There's a guy in the church world, Tim Keller, that has this thing in New York City where he says they're trying to renew the church in New York and renew that city. And he says, oh, it's a 200-year project. Tim Keller, he ain't going to be around in 200 years. I got news. He's already, he's old, all right? Um, but he's going to pass that dream on to a lot of other people. There are going to be a lot of other Christians in that city for the next 200 years, too. He's not doing it by himself. We're not doing it by ourselves. The things that we're doing, others are going to come and pick these things up. And so when I, when I was first thinking about this teaching, I was like, oh, gosh, this is, it's not funny. <laughs> it's, it's kind of dark. Uh, it's, it can be, it's a little bit sad. Uh, but the more I sat under this word, and the more prayer and reflection, the more I actually believe that it's filled with incredible hope for the future. I had this weird experience yesterday, this moment where I just walked away from it and sat down. And this doesn't happen to me every day. I was just like flooded over with this hope that just washed over me out of the blue, right? I felt like completely engulfed in this hope because there's joy in planting a vineyard together. There's joy in that. Right, And so together, this is what we're doing here. We are planting a vineyard. There's joy in that. Sure, it'd be nice to drink the glass of wine. There's also joy in the planting, in the starting of something, in the beginning of a dream. Because God will raise up more Joshua's to lead the next generation. This is what we're learning from this text. There's joy being on mission together. There's a hope for the future because ultimately what we're seeing through the whole Exodus story, God is faithful, God is good, Right? And so maybe the thing we keep in mind is this original dream of the promised land that Moses carried with him. Where did the dream originate? It didn't originate with Moses. The dream originated with God. God passed the dream on to Abraham. Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Right? Then that dream carries on to Moses. Now Moses passes it on to Joshua. Joshua passes it on to whomever. Centuries later, we pick up. We pick up the dream. Right? And so we see how it 
passes on down the line to us today. God's dream may, these things may fill us with some significant challenges and some hardships. We're not always going to have all the answers we seek. But here's the thing that we already know, because we know the end of the story. We know that God's dreams will be accomplished, period. That's a fact. That's what we know from reading the scripture. So Israel mourns the death of Moses for 30 days, but after they mourn for 30 days, they get up and they move on. They move on because the dream will come to fulfillment. They will enter the promised land. And so this is awesome. The ancient rabbis in this work called The Ethics of the Fathers, this is what they said. They teach us that you're not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to desist from it. That's the whole, that's it. That's it. You're, obligated to, you're not obligated to complete it, to finish it, but you're neither you're free to desist from it. We have to do the work. But it may not be our job to finish the work. Moses dreamed, he came up a little bit short. We dream, sometimes we come up a little bit short, but we keep fighting, we keep working hard as God's partners in mission. This is what we're doing here. And so we continue to plant a vineyard together so that all the people in this community would know of God's incredible love in Jesus Christ. This is what we are doing here, right? Allowing, also, encouraging human beings to flourish into all that God created them to be. This is part of the dream. And so here's, this is it. We can look back, we should be thanking God for Moses. We should be thanking God for all the people who went before us, people who passed the faith on to us. Then we're also thankful for all the Joshua's that God's going to raise up in the future, for all those who will come behind, pick up the dream where we leave it off, and carry it forward to the next generation. 